Turn your Bibles to James 15, 16. I mean, 5, 16. What do you mean, James 16? How you doing? What chapter is that? What book are you reading now? You know, it is awesome to see Chaz and see the picture they put out and holding his little baby girl. He told me last night we had D time and, they, you know, they had a C-section. He was like, so Chaz is awesome, isn't he? Chaz just, you, he, whatever room he's in, his, and Amy too, they just bring this love and spirit and just joy. And I love how they're already opened up their house. They haven't even moved into it. And they're just setting up chairs and go, let's, let's everybody come here. He's holding that little baby, and he, called, he texted me. He said, bro, I'm not going to be able to make midweek. And I said, you better not make midweek because he's staying overnight with his daughter in the hospital. I said, yeah, absolutely. But I just appreciated his heart letting me know, not like asking permission, but just that unity, that heart. I'm with you, heart and soul. I'm a brother. But I just said, man, congratulations. You stay there. You know, he's holding her. It's like, absolutely. Look in James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The title of this lesson is Do Not Forget the Lord. Well, you'd say, why would I do that? Well, because God actually says in the Bible to not do that. This is very powerful. We all probably have heard this scripture before, and it goes on about Elijah, right? It tells of how Elijah prayed for rain. But the key is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, Let's switch that and go, if that's true, then would it mean that the prayer of an unrighteous person wouldn't be powerful and effective? What I mean by, well, what happens when you weren't a disciple and you start crying out? Like for me, I got to a point in the world where I was, I didn't know I was, grew up religious. I didn't know, like, you're supposed to cry out and seek God with all your heart. I didn't know what that meant, but then I realized in my position of life, I was empty, and I realized then God put a disciple in my life in 1993 in Los Angeles. And I answered the call, and then I realized, wow. And then I learned to pray to seek God with all my heart, and I'll find him. And I wasn't saved yet, but then I started doing that. So I believe God hears, I believe God, God, it says over and over, Jesus died, right? God so loved the world. God wants all people to be saved and come to a, a, a knowledge of the truth. So how can this fit? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, but if you're not righteous, what would that mean? Well, according to Jesus, the way he defines righteousness would be understanding the truth, being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins, receiving the gift of spirit, and now walking in the light, even though you need grace. That would be righteous. So if you're a disciple and you're confessing your sin, because the Bible says without confessing your sins to each other, and it says pray for each other, which means it's so powerful, the principle of dishonesty or sin or deceit or impurity or things we just get stuck in, that God said you can never just change it without, even if you see the Bible, i got to change. It's like you have to ask God because even though you, you, you forget, it, it's, it's so powerful we're slaves to sin. We can't change. We couldn't become a disciple without God. We had to ask for it. God, we looked help me, God, I want you. Please help me overcome. Help me have the heart you want me to have. Help me repent. But then as we got baptized and now we're walking with the Lord, you need to continue to be open. Not because it's legalistic. Not because the man that you get open, the brother is going to forgive you. If you sinned against him, he'll be forgiven. But you just need to be open. Why? It's a principle before God. To be righteous, you need to be humble. There should be no secrets. For me, I'm an open book. I force myself to be that way. Why? Because I have been unrighteous as a disciple without really really understanding this principle. 
It can catch up. You, you, you almost like, will almost think, well, I'm not, you know, you're messed up. You're confused. You're not grateful. You know, if you're not grateful consistently, there may be sin because that's not righteous. It doesn't mean you don't need to be real. It doesn't mean we don't need to hear each other. But you got to realize the Bible says be joyful always. And he says, let me say it again. Be joyful. He says it twice. Well, sometimes I read that and I go, I'm not joyful. But now I go, okay, God, you say I, I should be. How can I get joyful? Help me get joyful. Now I start to examine myself. Because God doesn't want you to be that way. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's awesome. You understand what power is from God? Now, it doesn't mean what you pray for. It's not God's a genie God, right? But you know your prayers are powerfully being heard and they're effective according to his will. Isn't that great? You know, it says in verse 14 and 15, if you read that, it's very interesting how it, uh, you know, uh, alludes to, he says in verse 14 in James, in James 5, excuse me, James 5, verse 14, it says here, is anyone sick among you? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, you know what's really interesting? James here describes church members who are sick because they are being disciplined by God. Not always when you're sick, you're not being disciplined, but it could be something. And I'm going to get to that because it's very deep. This is, then why did it say elders? Well, elders are appointed positions. We call them shepherds in our church. You can do the same. Shepherds is an appointed Why? You're expected in that appointment to be righteous and a level of maturity. Doesn't mean you don't need help. Doesn't mean you don't need to confess your sin. Doesn't mean you don't need to be humble. But you've walked in a way where, why? I don't need a title. Well, God says there's titles, so it brings this security and this trusting me, follow me as I follow Christ. But at the same token, it doesn't mean you have to call the certain guy to come over or you can't get help. Because if we're disciples and you're righteous, we all have powerful prayer. But the key would be you got to try to confess it because it says if, if we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other. So confessing your sin is also being humble and then person praying for you. We pray for the lost, the Peronis and the Christophers. Come on, the Peronis and the Christophers. They are people that Martin has identified that by just getting to know them that they probably may not be saved as you're studying the Bible. But prayer, prayer is powerful. But this here says, confess your sin and pray for each other. Why? You can't just get out of your sin on your own, guys, at times. It's not that you have to go to someone every time, but if you're plagued or not changing, be open. Open shows that you're humble for God, and humble is the fear of God, humility. Sickness, it says it's interesting, because if you're sick, if anyone's sick, and it alludes in Corinthians as well, that's why some of you are sick. When you take communion, examine yourself, that's why some of you are sick. And this isn't to go, oh, no, if I'm sick right now, I'm in sin. No. But I want you to look at Psalm 32, verse 1, because I think it's interesting because David got sick, physically sick. Some of you missed this, but he was sick. He was sickly because he wasn't, he wasn't righteous. Look in, in Psalm 32, verse 1. You guys with me? Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Wow. 
you cannot have any deceit, which is basically saying before God, deceit is never good. No matter how you try to rash, it's never good. You got to be an open book and you got to get there. And sometimes if you get stuck and get woven into stuff, you need someone to help draw your heart out because we can get confused and like a carburetor, it can get junked up because we've just not got in a habit of giving our heart and discipling and talking and praying. But look what he says after that. Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. I'd say that's a sickly person, groaning. He's hurting. He says, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You know, when I have the flu or if I get sick, my strength is sapped. And God allows sicknesses, so when I always get sick, not always, I haven't been sick Thank you, God. I'm not going to knock on wood because I'm a disciple. <laughs> you know, you say knock on wood. I don't even know what that means. Uh, but uh, I can't remember when I was sick. And I just thank God. And I'm not, I don't mean that in pride. I was in the hospital at the height of COVID, per, per, quadriplegic. And I got pneumonia. And I didn't even know I got it until I got out. I was so in bad shape. But, I didn't, but all the people had the plexiglass over them because it was at the height. It was 2020, December, when it was like, stay home. No one go out. No one get near each other. We don't even know if this is going to kill us. So no one could even visit me. And they had the plexiglass. And they're looking at me. I felt like I was E.T. Like, remember, they, had, they were covered with masks. And not just masks, but they had plexiglass. And they're like, <laughs> they're looking at me. And I just look at them going, hey, guys, everything? <laughs> I mean, I couldn't even talk at the time. But uh, I had pneumonia. And my heart was AFib, and I looked at the chart after I got out because they, you know, they kind of have a record when they're in the emergency room when they're doing everything. It's just there's kind of a, they have the records. And it said, after I got out, I didn't know, it said patient is in danger of complete organ failure and imminent death. My wife and I didn't know that when, they were, when, when I was in there because my, my heart went AFib, which means it jumped off, and I had to go to the cardiac, and I had to have a jump, and I had pneumonia. And I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. And my, had my blood pressure was a 200. Why I say that is like, I, God allowed me to get out of that. But I can't remember since then. I, know, I never got COVID, never got sick. And I don't mean that any way, other way, that when I am sick, though, you know what I think? How vulnerable and nothing I am. Because <laughs> when you're sick, doesn't it humble you? When you don't feel well, it doesn't matter how tough and strong you are. You're just done. you got to do your time. Earl was here. Bless his heart. I said, go home. He came for detail. I said, bro, how are you doing? I'm tired. I looked in his eyes. Can you tell when someone has kind of sickly eyes? I said, bro, I appreciate it. Go home. Go home now. Don't talk to anybody. Just go home. I mean, I didn't mean don't talk to anybody, but just don't take time. Just go. Because he was going to try to, you know, be. I said, bro, please. Because he's got rest. But look at this here. When I kept silent, in verse 3, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, my hand was, your hand, excuse me, was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. In verse 5, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover uh, my iniquity. And I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave my guilt of my sin. But sick, I just think David was kind of sick. He was weak, groaning, and pain, and, you know, we don't know exactly what it was, but his strength was sapped, and I know when I'm sickly and continues to get sick, these are indications where I go, God, what am I learning? And I may just be learning humility to go, I think about when Jesus says, uh, the spirit, the, 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 the flesh counts for nothing, the spirit is everything, you know? He said that, I think, in, in, the, in the Gethsemane, he goes, the spirit counts for everything, the flesh counts for nothing. It's true. We're so weak and fragile. Grace of God, you're here. Grace of God, we can be grateful. Grace of God, we can be uh, allowed to enjoy the gift of human life. 
But if you're not walking in the light as a disciple, you're going to start getting miserable. And don't get down on yourselves or get tired or get faked out or just, just need help to get back in it. God's still here, though, so let's look at a couple scriptures on that. Do not forget the Lord, right? Look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. You guys with me? So prayer, if you're not being open and being righteous, then your prayers, literally from the Bible, they were not going to be that effective. It doesn't mean grace isn't there, but then I like to be able to pray and know it doesn't have to be, I don't have to go and time my prayers or anything. I always tell people, you know what I do? I pray till I'm moved by God and I'm convicted. I don't just say a prayer legalistic. I pray, and sometimes my prayers are short, but I try to do it all throughout. I try to be a, aware of God. So it's not just, you know, just flippantly saying something. It's my heart. I want to be connected. The scriptures usually connect my heart. The truth of the word moves my heart, reminds me, pulls me in, because God is spirit, and we worship God in spirit and truth. Well, where do we get the truth? The words of God, the God of spirit. So I just realized that even in the simplest ways, you continue to commune, commune with God. But if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, do not forget the Lord. It says, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and, 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 and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to what? To humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart whether or not you would keep his commands. You know what's so powerful? If you haven't understood that yet in your life from God, you need to, because you will. It's, it's not that God's trying to do anything. You're saved by grace, but he wants you to be proved. He wants your faith to continue to remain genuine, even though refined by fire. We know it says it in 1 Peter, right? Trials have come. These have come so that your faith worth greater worth than gold, uh, though refined by fire, will be proved genuine. Because he wants you to keep with him. You're saved by grace, but if you don't stay with him, then you can't be in the grace. The grace is there, but if you're not in Christ and with him walking, the relationship, the grace is there, but you can't receive grace unless you're in it. Does that make sense? So let's work, let's, So it's basically, look at that. It says, the 40 years, these people were so close to the promised land but it took 40 years because they didn't get it right. God humbled them and tested them to know what was in their heart, and a lot of junk was in their heart, and a lot of them didn't make it. They got cold, they got hard-hearted, they forgot the Lord, and they started whining and crying and complaining and living by human, as mere mortals, and they died. Verse 3, it says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Let me ask something. Have you heard that before? Did someone reiterate that verse? Who reiterated that verse? Right. Who was he talking to? Satan. It's the most powerful. Think about that. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Isn't that powerful? And Jesus said it too, so we know it's God Almighty. It says, your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. That's a miracle. A lot of times we camp out on the, you know, the huge miracles. That's a huge miracle. If you guys bought the best Nike tennis shoes you could imagine when you were like 20, and you're still wearing them at 40, and there's not one mark on them and not one wear, and you're in the basketball league, that's amazing. That's a miracle. 
Their clothes did not wear out. God's saying what? I'm here. I got you. And then verse 5, it says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering in him. How do you continue to walk in obedience to him and revering him? You can't just be compliant and know I don't want to go to hell or I need to obey God. You need to get open if your heart's like that. You're not going to last. You got to be excited and privileged to walk in obedience to God because they're guards. It's safety. To walk in obedience with Jesus is a safety and a security way of living in life and helping to impact souls on earth, but at the same time have that protection of obedience. Revering God is, wow, I'm in touch. I'm going to die. I don't know when, and I'm not camping out in that way, but there's another life, the life to come. I'm so amazed that that's already been promised to me. Man. Verse 7, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can uh, dig copper out of the field, out of the hills. When, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So this is the same. Back then, there's no money and there's no stores and there's no shops. They're fired up. And basically, if God took all the malls and food, restaurants and everything away and all the grocery stores and we were together in a desert as a family of God and he brought us into a land with wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, bread that's not scarce. We could dig out incredible copper and bargain with the other peoples in the world and make money. We're going to have every need met. I grew up in Phoenix and pomegranates, man, we used to pick those off the trees. You open up, there's those little pebbles. I don't know if you've ever eaten one. It's kind of cool. It's kind of interesting, though. It's not as easy as an orange. I grew up in a neighborhood that had orange trees and grapefruit trees just in the whole neighborhood. It was like huge orchards. So the houses were developed in there. So kids, we just drive our bikes. There'd always be navel or orange. You just pop. It was like no one cared. You just take one. It was just fruit. And then the pomegranates weren't on every tree. But when you found one of those as a kid, you're like, how you doing? Let's get one of those. But, you know, we can go down the street anywhere and get something to eat at a fast food restaurant. We don't take for granted foods given to us. So you got to get necessity everything that you have, everything that's happened. The simplest things, you got to go, wow, God's allowed me to do it. So look in verse 11. Here we go with the points, with the main point. He says, man, I'm going to bless you. I got you. He says, be careful, in verse 11, that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and when you build fine houses, settle down, when, you, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dread wilderness and th that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you uh, water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you, pushing through, trusting God and being obedient no matter what's going on in your life. 
So it will go, it'll go good with you. But remember, verse 18, or excuse me, verse 17, you may say, uh, it may go with you, but you may say to yourself, my power and my strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will be surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. So there's a lot here, but it's relevant today. Jesus quoted in Matthew, you don't have to go there, Matthew 4, as we already said, he quoted the verse that man does not live by bread alone in Matthew 4, verse 3, to Satan. What, what more? Jesus is demonstrating to resist the devil on earth as he was a human being, full human God. There's nothing more secret or no, there's no more spiritual strategy than to stand firm as a man in faith on the promises of God. I stand in God. It's, it, man does not live by bread alone, shot Satan down, but by the words of God. And God said he'll give you the bread and the food you need. You already got it. But think about how powerful that is. And then it says God tests us. So now we've got to go, how does that happen? We're looking at those Israelites. We're not in the desert. We're in this modern world. How, how, can, how will we respond to the tests of life as life reveals, that's what it does. God's journey in our life will reveal what's really in your hearts. And don't be upset because it's already been there and God's going to get it out. This is the issue. Even when you become saved, you grace. God says, I got you. You don't even know the sinful areas of your heart, but we're going to expose them. And then how you respond will really show who you are. So don't get upset when you see, wow, I'm rebellious or I'm critical or I'm bitter. Just go, just try to go, thank you. It was there. Don't try to go, I ah, be defensive. Just that's who you are. You're critical. You're bitter. I'm bitter. I'm pure. We all are available to do that. So if it exposes something in your heart and you get an attitude or, or, or pull back and not be faithful and start feeling sorry for yourself, then that's what's being drawn out. Who are you? With God. God's not trying to hurt you. It's already been there. You've got to get through it or you're not going to make it anyway. And I believe some of us, brothers, your pride and independence, you haven't really fully believed, commit to God with all your heart. You've kind of tried to angle it. I'm never going to go up to you and say, hey, bro, let's get together. You're missing church. I'm so done with that. You want to miss church? Do what you want. Disciples follow the Lord and commit because it's bigger than them. Disciples come because Jesus died for them. And I go, I'm meeting because what if someone else studies? I want to represent the people of God, not just when I need it. I'm coming because I want to be there like others were there for me. When I came in, I saw the kingdom. I saw men waiting, available for my life. I saw people worshiping on Sunday. I go because I'm committed to God. How about you, brothers? Can you hand me that, uh, that joy juice? I'm just kidding. Not joy juice. How you doing? It's vitamin D. Don't be scared. What's in your heart, guys? I know what's been in my heart in the past. I've been a disciple 28 years. I, my, my soul has been saved many times through God's grace, but through, through discipling and men. I remember them. I don't look back and go, oh, gosh, that's a mark on me. I got a felony in the movement. I just said, no, I go, thank you, God, but I remember it. And now I remember not only not to get trapped by Satan again, I want to help others. It's not about whether you fail the test. It's whether you pass the next one, get back up. God puts the tests for your own good to what? 
to grow and change and become more mature. If you don't, he's going to give you another rewind in grace, and you're going to keep hitting the same insanity going around in circles in your life and getting frustrated until you get humble and go, what is God trying to teach me? That's awesome when you get there. Because now you go, it's not about consequences. It's not about I expect anything. God, I just want to know what you need me to change. Now it's exciting. It's painful until you get to that point, until you get your heart in that area. God, what, do you, what, am I, what am I supposed to see here? What do you want me to learn? It may not even be discipline. It may be both. What am I learning to refine my faith to become more mature? But also, what am I learning about my own heart in areas that maybe that are sin? See what I'm saying? Let's keep, let's, so, so basically, what was going on here? Well, first of all, God in everyday life, your experiences are tests that involve everyday life. You live in your life, your car, your vehicle, your finances, if you're married, your spouse, your life, your physical condition, your family, situation, stress, bills, blah, blah, blah. That's all going to come. You're learning. But how are you looking at it spiritually? Because how you respond is who you are as a man of God, right? And, you, and God, you're saved by grace, but how do you respond is how I learn. If I respond in a negative or complaining way, hopefully I can stop and go, God, help me, and I'm sorry. And then I get my heart right, right? Because who you are is really who you are under stress or pressure or challenge, right? And it's okay. Then that's who you are. Now, God, please forgive me and help me. The people of Israel were frequently hungry and thirsty and weary from that journey. They were. It wasn't that God was trying to do it on, for no, no reason. And it was on those occasions that they then became, instead of learning, they got more critical. They tried to get bitter and critical toward the leadership, God's leadership. They got really anxious and worried. So it was, they weren't learning yet. That's what we're learning from this. We weren't learning. When God allows, what, a difficult circumstance to test you, well, you're either going to decide, I'm going to trust you and become more mature in the faith, and faith is more powerful than gold. Faith says faith is worth more than gold. So the power of growing in faith is such a blessing. You want to be a superhero? Be humble and let God teach you to grow in your faith. Because when you are unmovable by Satan and you grow in your faith, you're really helping God wants to work through you as a servant. But you think about that. So when I'm going to say it again. When God allows a difficult circumstance to test you, are you trusting him? Right now, are you trusting him? And if you are, you're becoming more mature, even though it's painful. And that's where you need one another. That's where we need to help each other and share how we're feeling or I'm having. It's challenging. you got to endear yourself and see, when you're in sin and start to become independent, you don't really endear yourself the way that God just wants you to because people, we need to be there. We share each other's burdens, and it helps, and we pray for each other, right? And you may not be in a challenge right now, but you've you got to realize this is God's plan for us to be there for each other. So we either become more mature or we become more miserable because God's not going to take it away necessarily until you've learned if he wants you to learn something because if you don't if he takes it away and you haven't learned it then that's not really a loving God because if you're not doing well and going the wrong direction it, it won't help you right so what what's the difference well believing the promises of God and believing them no matter what when you first were baptized now how do you believe them 
you know, turn your Bibles to um, Jeremiah 29.11, which we all, most of us, when we do, uh, you know, when you're teaching yourself or people about seeking God, it's a beautiful thing. But I always ask people to see if they can read this periodically wherever you're at and go, I still believe this. Is this happening in my life? Am I excited? It says in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for you to prosper, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and what? Come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So this is what the same thing is for God through Jesus. Come follow me. Do you believe God has plans for you to prosper now? To give you hope. The hope is heaven, the hope you already have, the future is your life as a human being. Now, Jesus never promised us anything, and God never promised us anything but salvation. So you got to understand that the 12 apostles, they were the righteous men. They died a terrible death. Jesus died with nothing except just a loincloth around him, beaten and dead. So he had nothing. And they were spiritual. John, so you got to realize it's not necessarily you're going to, it's not like, God, I'm going to obey you, and then you're going to give me this oasis of dreams because that's possibly wrong thinking God will give you what you need and if he gives you more are you able to handle it and stay righteous see very few rich men can make it into the kingdom it says that over and over but it doesn't say it's not wrong but why I've been in 28 I don't I, I know some men that that are very successful but I know a lot of men that fell away and I know a lot of men that drift around and are lukewarm because they're insulated and they don't even understand it. They believe the truths of God, and I'm not going to say how far God's grace is to go, but they realize they failed the test. So it's not like God doesn't want, God has the power to do whatever he wants with you. you got to ask, am I ready to handle it? And unfortunately, as people, as humans, even as disciples, we may think we are, but we're not, because how you're living now as a disciple, are you sold out? Or are you going to be sold out when things change? That's a wrong heart. That's what you got to get back to. It's not about you're grateful as you would be. if It doesn't matter what else comes. You got it. Then God will go, okay, this is a dude that I can work with, and I'm not, I don't have to, but I'm going to use him to continue to advance the, the kingdom. But you got to ask yourself, I studied this with a man, and I can say it because it's public. It, he knows it. R.D. Baker. You know, I don't know many of you know him, but he's, he's, he, was in, he was in our former fellowship. He led a movement, he led a, a mission team to Bahrain, hero, led churches. Sent, things happened in his life, and I won't go into details, but he shared it publicly. Uh, unfortunately, his, his wife and him, they got a divorce. There was an adultery not by him. It broke his heart. They didn't get together. They were in the ministry. They fell away. He was wandering, and he was managing a restaurant at Red Robin in Phoenix, Arizona. I was leading the Phoenix church, but I knew him. From the four million, he was actually in the ministry, and I was in the church in Phoenix. And he was discipling me. He was, he, and I heard him preach. He was a leader. He just came off the mission field. I said, "Man, he's awesome." And then time came, and I, what happened to him? So, long story short, when I got to be the privilege of helping him be restored, and we, we worked with him, I read that to him, and now I'm reading it to you because it was very fascinating. I've never had, I never thought. I was just thinking, let's just go to that because I'm like, what do I do with this guy? He's led churches. He knows he wants to come back. He's hurting. He's been hurt. Hurts are real. Wounds are real, right? Whether you've sinned or you've been sinned against, it hurts. It hurts when, when a brother you love very much leaves God. It hurts. But you can't let that affect you in a way that's going to stop you from being righteous. You can feel the hurt, feel the pain. 
Being a disciple, I think there's always going to be a little bit of a sadness, but the joy of God, because you know it's out of your control. You did what you can, and you move forward. You're, the door's always open for somebody. But you can't fret and go, oh, oh, oh what the? No, Jesus is Lord still. And you still go, and you fill your horn with oil and move on. Not in a bitter way, a cold way, but I'm not just going to wait around and dance with you. The door's open. I've given you every offer. I'll check in once in a while, but I'm moving forward with disciples, and I'm going to make disciples. I asked him that, and he went, whoa, because his life had been shipwrecked or sidetracked. It was awesome, because for me, now that I see him, <laughs> I'm so grateful, because when I read that, I watched it happen again in his life. He's raised back up, was restored years ago, even got a wife, because his wife, you know, he got married, and his wife, April, had a heart condition, and he was married for many years. They went and planted the church in uh, Dubai. But his wife had such a bad heart condition, and he knew that. He was like 20 years older, and it fit because they just knitted. But she had a life expectancy low, and then he kind of, they just knitted. And then they both were married, and they raised up and started leading church. And then she had to come back from Dubai because her heart was so in bad condition that it was so hard for medical stuff, so she had to come back. And eventually she died about a year and a half ago. And he had to surrender to God again and go, wow, I had a great time, a great life, and thank you. But it was painful. He stayed in the game. You're going to see him in the GLC. He's now still leading church, sold-out disciple, probably about 56, 50-something, a youngster from my book. But I'm inspired. And I'm not just trying to use his name. What I'm trying to say, I'm inspired that I got to watch that again and watch it. And I've had that happen, too, where I would have read this and went, well, I, I know the Bible says it, so I'm not going to say, oh, no, I don't. But intellectually, sometimes we can just be religious. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. You may need help to get back there, but it's true. It's true always. Now, God's not the problem. What's going on in your heart? What can you do to get back where that joy and your step and your salvation and that you love God? Yeah. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Yeah. And I can tell you that I've had to get back there. There's been times where I could read that and I go, oh, I don't even want to read that. I'm telling you, there's a period of time where I stepped out of the ministry. I told you when I was in L.A., I had to take a, I had to, I needed help. They stepped me out. I needed help. My heart was not doing well. I'd been in the ministry for years. The former fellowship, I was an evangelist for eight years. I stepped back in to Phoenix. We stepped in our house and led a house church. It raised up. Long story short, came. The, we got a place at a hotel, started moving. The Sullivans then came over and took over leadership. And I watched again the plans to prosper and watched that God's truth works anywhere if people become disciples and are disciples. Sold out. So fired up. So I'm just saying, you got to keep your heart checked. And you got to help people be aware of you so you know each other. And go, How you doing, bro? Because we need each other. It's not out of policeman style. It's like we need to keep each other, help each other saved, right? So let's look at another scripture. You guys with me? So if you look at Ephesians 1, so let's go to us today, but I'm going to give you a couple principles from Deuteronomy. One of the hardest lessons that we as disciples, as God's people must learn from looking in the scriptures as well, but about ourselves, is to accept God's will and obey him without protest or complaint. That means, that's, that, that means you've got to be honest because it's not like you're being told what to do. No one's controlling you. Jesus is the head of the church. 
but we're disciples and he calls us to do that. So we're obeying one another as we obey God. That's why we always have our Bibles. Anybody who preaches, me or anybody, if I'm, I'm, I'm the evangelist, but that doesn't mean really, I mean, I'm honored and humbled, but I'm just a guy trying to do whatever I can to be, as, to be open and real and obey God and then hoping it'll come and, and help you. And that's what we are. That's why we all help each other. Following God is here in the spirit. But you got to ask yourself, you know, and we look back, if the Israelites had taken time to look back and recall their journey from Egypt to Canaan, Canaan's land, Canaan's land, they would have seen that at each stage in the journey would have taught them more about themselves than about the Lord. See, when you're struggling and going through desert times, what's supposed to happen is you're going to learn more about yourself, really than about the Lord, who you really are, because you might know who you are, but we need, to, God's refining us. So it's not to be, look at me, it's helping each other. We're never to look down, but who are you? See, who I try to be is no matter what's going on, I have to have set my heart on time every day. And I have to reset. Whenever I come into an environment with any living human, I've made my decision that God be with me and help me be radiant, help me be a light. And even when I'm weak, I'll be real. Hey, I'm struggling right now, but I make that decision. So anywhere I come, I don't just come into a room and go, everybody say, hey, you know, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm existing, sucking energy out of the room. I'm here. Like in Bible talk, I'm here. Or I'm on the phone. That's not inspiring. I'm a man of God. People of God to come together. But the, Peter says, you know, you are a chosen people. A people of God, right? Yeah. Yeah. Special possession. You were once in darkness, now you're in light. You are the people of God. So the people of God is individually setting your heart on things above. So you come in and go, I'm not going to be tired. I'm not going to be down. I'm not going to stuff things, but I'm going to go, I have God's spirit, and I'm a man of God. Can we talk afterwards? Because I'm struggling, but I'm denying myself right now because I'm going to give. So you don't stuff, but you're a warrior. When you go to battle, you can't say, Sergeant. We're going to take this hill. I can't make it. I'm going to sit back after you're done fighting. I know I'm going to make it fall short. Can you come back if any of you are alive and help me with my heart? No, I'm going to deny myself and go to battle. And when I have to battle, I'm going to go open and say, why is the colonel putting us out there more than that guy? I have attitude. I'm bitter, but I'm fighting. But what's going on? So I get real with whatever it is. But you don't wait because you follow the Bible. And no one, unless, unless someone's calling you not to follow the Bible or contradict, then that's the only problem. But you got to even pray right there. I can bring radiance into me even if I'm tired. And I can smile and go, I'm here. I had a long day. I worked very hard. How you doing, bro? You can do it. I'm doing it. We all can do it. Because we want to show God is with us. Enthusiasm. So you see this. And if they were going to learn more about themselves, they would seem, they would see themselves possibly when they were struggling in the desert as living in the past because they started to regret even wanting to go back when they were slaves in Egypt. They even said that. That's crazy. Why? They were living in the past and afraid of the future. Doubting God's love and ability to see him through their life. Do you doubt God's love and ability to continue with you in your life? See, the kingdom of God is going to advance forcibly. Someone told me this once. The kingdom of God is going to finish what Jesus called us to do. And either he's going to come back. We don't worry about that part. But we're going to live it out. Whether I die faithful and I die in a church faithful, I'm fired up. But the kingdom of God will advance forcibly. The question is, will you still be part of it? And God's done everything with grace and everything. We want to help each other, right? But that's exciting. So nothing's going to fail with God, but are you going to fail? 
But God doesn't want you to fail. Because he says, I'm with you always. So they see themselves there and then doubting God's love and then their frequent complaining in the desert revealed, revealed really their lack of love for the Lord and their rebellion showed their lack of submission to his will. And we need to recognize our need for that. We all are rebellious by nature or we wouldn't need to repent, myself included. Agree that God alone can satisfy you. That's what you need to believe. Do you believe God alone can satisfy you? You can change that today, tonight when you go out. God alone, you can satisfy me. You can just talk like that. God, I need to help to get content back where I'm at. You pray for God's presence, even though he's there. Pray, God, I know you're here. Look at scriptures in the presence of God. And the view of Christ Jesus reappearing, preach the word. He says, in the presence of God. God's here. God, help me to feel your presence. Help me experience it. Pray for wisdom. Help me to make decisions in my life, my marriage, my children. Help me to make decisions. And when you do that, now when you're making decisions, you already prayed. So you can kind of trust as long as it's righteous and, you, and a wise make its advice. You can be confident when you make decisions and not doubt. And go, was that right? Was that right? You pray because there's a lot of disputable decisions. But if you pray, you're not going to be doubting, was that the right decision? And you pray for direction as you read scripture. Practice what he teaches you. Live it out. So in Ephesians 1, 3, 1, 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has given freely us in the one he loves. Wow. You know, in the, part, the second part of verse 3, it says, you know, praise. You know, it's not like he's not, this guy's fired up with the spirit. Praise so grateful and he says who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ see what's that mean well he brought it up because the subject of wealth was significant to the readers in Ephesus tangible materialism and because Ephesus was actually considered literally it was nicknamed it was called the bank of Asia there's a name for that and one of the depositories for wealth there was in the great temple of Artemis. You guys have heard of that, right? If you read the thing. The, this temple was so magnificent, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Paul was writing to people who had appreciated great beauty and wealth, building on this theme. Paul describes what? Great spiritual wealth that we have as disciples in Christ. That's what he's trying to say. Get it. If it, it, You can't look at the world, the temptations, the deceitfulness of wealth. And he's saying, He's saying the heavenly places. So we, we as disciples need to operate, you know, in two spheres, the human and the divine, because we're human. <laughs> we're mere mortals, but we're not mere mortals. I love how the scripture, I don't know where it says that, but don't act, Paul's even demonishing, don't act like mere mortals. That's exciting, but it's like, well, I'm a, mere, I'm a human, but don't act like a mere mortal. Act like a mere mortal with the spirit. And you think about the two spheres here. It says, you know, I, I, I read this. It says you have those choices. 
and the, the, the human and the divine, the earthly and the heavenly, the visible and the invisible, right? The invisible God. We believe in a God that we cannot see. So physically, we are on earth as a human being. But the spirituality, spiritually, he is seated in Christ. So we are seated in Christ. Now, that's hard to comprehend if you don't focus on God Almighty in faith, in the heavenly spirit, because it says that. Otherwise, you just read over it and go, oh, okay, I believe, you know, you know, you're supposed to be involved in that. You're supposed to really absorb everything. that In the New Testament, when you become a true disciple and you come out of the water, you're born again into the light, new life. Everything it says is now true to you. It's actually true. You're part of it. Isn't that great? People that aren't saved and baptized and come out of darkness and light, this is not true. It's a truth telling them they can have it, but a lot of people don't even understand until they get right with God fully. you got to come into the other side. you got to come in. That's exciting to me already. I go, whoa, I'm in the truth now. I'm in Christ. The Christian, so physically, we are on earth in a human body, but spiritually, we're seated in the heavenly sphere. And it is in this heavenly sphere, we know that we're going to die, that provides the power and direction for the earthly walk. Set your heart and mind on God. Reading the word, being knowing you have the Holy Spirit. In the world, not of the world. That's hard. I'll just be real, it's hard. Some of you are wrapped up in it too much. Some of you are stressed out by what you're doing. Some of you feel like life is hard and it may be hard. You know what? God don't give you more than you can handle. Children, ailing people, families. My dad is in assisted living. We're moving him. I'm being, I'm being humbled at the same time, refined, and being more of a servant for him. And, and, and you know, it, it, it's, it's hard, and it's, it's hard, but I realize when I get in the spiritual realm, it's a privilege. I got my 82-year-old dad that I help sponge bath because he can't do it all alone again. I cry, and I refine. My heart's like, why am I doing this? And I go, forgive me, God, and then I'm doing it. But it's hard, but I realize he's not going to give me more than I can handle. And if I look at God, there's a reason. It's a blessing. How are you with your life right now? Oh, or amen. You know, predestined, it says he chose us before the creation of the world. I know a lot of people mess this up. There's Calvinists and predestination and you focus on that why we don't know the future God says if you studied the Bible by faith and made the changes and let God move your heart as you were seeking him and you now understood that I'm going to make Jesus Lord I'm going to get in touch with my sin I understand the kingdom of God I understand why Jesus died on the cross I allowed myself to become godly sorrowful I know what the church really means whoa it's disciples I'm going to be part of it then you understand that God thought about you and planned it before the creation of the world, which we can't go beyond. We're finite. Our minds are blowing up right now. You can't do it, can you? I can't. I can say it, but it's too, I'm just like, oh, I can't do it. Before the creation of the world, he chose you. That's, a, that's just like, I mean, we can intellectually, but isn't it hard to, you can't really go much more. You can just go, oh. We're not allowed to think beyond that. God gave us the capacity to only go so far intellectually. We can't do it. We can just go by faith and go, wow. But he loves you. Can't worry about everybody else. That's why we share our faith. Because God is going, who is going to respond to my love? Because a relationship, God's already done everything he can. We have to help people know God is here. And you may have been confused or messed up by people that are taught wrong, that sincerely mean well, but haven't taught it right. 
just don't worry about that. Just find out. Answer your own questions. I appreciate that's what Sean's doing. He's just studying the Bible, and he's answering those questions. Right? It's not, I, I said ask all the questions, right? That's what you all need to do. Answer your questions. Once you make the Word of God, there's never, ever, you should always be asking questions. It's seeking to understand, growing. If you don't know, hey, what does the Bible say here? Always. I redefine, I reconvert myself by looking at the Scriptures again, so to speak. You know what I mean? So... I want you to guys to understand that we have everything. So anything God does promotes you, blesses you, you've got to be going, oh, can I handle this spiritually? And if you're not going, I don't have the job I want, if I can make more money, then you've got to go, why not? Because God probably thinks you'll fall away if he gives you too much right now. And I'm not saying that's exact, but there's a reason, because God can help you. And it doesn't mean the prosperity gospel. And it doesn't matter what you do or what you have. God says just do whatever you do with all your heart. And we know we work, right? But it's a blessing. So if you keep your heart centered, it doesn't even matter what economic group you're in. You can be joyful and fired up because you learn to be clean and neat. So even if, you're, if you have an apartment or one room or thing, if it's all messy and dirty, you're, it's, that's a miserable thing. But if you're in a big house and it's all messy and unclean, it's not fun either. Clean, neat, and grateful. What God gives you. How clean are you in your house? It's important, especially, you know, when you're living with people, you got to respect people. you got to have people come in and go, hey, Jesus, go ahead. Use my restroom. I'm not embarrassed. Or are you? So I want to uh, look at one more scripture about prayer. And tomorrow I've committed to pray Thursday for the men. And thank you, Martin, for suggesting that about prayer. And I, I have that and I have it on my list and I pray for every one of you guys. I pray for you. Sometimes individually, but it's just a nice mind. At first, I was looking at the sheet going, I pray for Travis, Fred, that knucklehead. I pray for, uh, I pray for Yovani, good night. I pray for, no, but then I start stopping, and I realize how profound it gets when you start praying because you just pray for them. You pray for their life, and I know you, and then I realize I know more about you, and I say, God, just help them wherever they're at. I don't know what they're going on. But the Bible says prayer is powerful. So I'm going, I'm, I'm not praying for me, I'm praying for others. I, it's not me that's going to help you. I just believe God's word, that God, prayer is powerful, so I hope they're doing well. I hope that you can, right? But if we all start doing that, prayer is powerful and effective. We pray for each other. I wasn't in the habit of doing that. And it's not a legalistic habit. you got to just go pray and just move your heart. But, you know what I mean? You learn, because God says it, so you figure it out. But let's look at one more scripture in uh, Revelations 8, and then I want to have responses. Four. And I prayed about prayer. I mean, I taught about prayer in the staff meeting because it it's always reminds me and re-reminds me. It's like, I take for granted prayer. I don't know. I, don't, I pray. But, guys, when I start to really look at it again, I go, man, I don't understand it. I, I, I need help. I got it. God, please help me understand the depth of where I need to grow. Not legalistically, but wow. And it says in verse, actually pick it up in verse 3 of Revelations 8, another angel had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. On the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. So wait a minute. This is Revelation. I don't have time to get deeper into this, but one thing I can see you can break down. How powerful is prayer? It says, the, to get, it says the prayers, and the incense was symbolizing back in the Old Testament when they, when, they, when they offered a sacrifice and let incense, you know, or any kind of smoke, but incense would kind of float up in the air. It was a reminder that God is there, and he hears our prayers. 
It's like if you see things go up, that's what God says. It says, it says uh, you know, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar. That means the prayers are never lost. They've always been held by God. It's power. Wow. I want my prayers to be in that, that future. I want my prayer to go, it counts. I'm little old me. I'm going to try to be righteous and thank you, God, for my salvation. But I realize I want to be, I want to have when we die and God, we're all up there. I want to go, God, was, was all my prayers in that, in that offering going up and helping people? It's awesome. The smoke of incense together with the prayers of God's people, in verse 4, went up before God. From the angel's hand. You know, we know we see the space and the universe. and But over and over and over, it says God descended up into heaven. So we know up there, up. We don't know exactly where heaven is, a spiritual world, but we know it's up. It's not in the earth. It's pretty powerful. Prayer is powerful and effective if you're walking in the light, brothers. If you're being open and not, not if you're struggling and you're continuing to be, how's your impurity? Masturbation. You know, I'll say that word now with just us. You got to see, man, you guys are fooling yourself if you're saying, sorry, God, forgive me, and you get home with the brother, and then you keep doing it. That's not forgiveness. You're not repent. That's not repentant. You got to say, why can't you put that to death? What are you, weak? Yes, but you're weak and unspiritual. God didn't die for you to consistently sin. He said, you're going to overcome it, and you got to get a conviction. So if you are struggling with impurity, Get out or repent because you're lying about the power of God and we're tired of hearing it. And I'm saying you need change because we can't change you or any other sin. And I love you. We're going to be there. I don't mean that in a mean way. But if you're not repentant and you're playing church, what are we doing with you? You're wasting our time. You're wasting God's time. I can't help you if you're not reading your Bible. I can't do anything for you. I can't. If someone says, I'm struggling, are you reading your Bible? No, I can't do anything for you. What can I do for you? I can give you some good advice and pep talk you up. Maybe you'll leave a little emotional for the next day. Chris really helped me. He was fired up. If you don't want, and that's denial of self and learning discipline to read the Bible. I don't feel anything. Too bad. Pray and read till you feel something. Repent and move that heart of stone into soft and go, God, take me. I need help. That's the humility that God goes, all righty, let's work with this. And I'm a weak I'm a man that probably when I get to heaven on my chart, uh, look at me. God had to do a lot of things. I don't know why he did this. I searched my heart, but I don't, I'm not mad. I just go, man, he must need, I must be, I need a lot of help to be humble. That's how I look at it. He's just taken my, a lot of things from me, physically. You know, I have fear sometimes I'm going to die earlier now. And I let that go because it's not my choice. But there's nothing wrong, but it forces me to go. And I just realize I want to live my life. And I realize life is precious, and I want to do the best I can. I enjoy life. And going to heaven's better, but I can't comprehend that. But I, don't, I want to joy. I want to move. I want to do. I only got. I, I've been in Psalm 28 years. I probably don't. I don't have 28 years left. I, I want to just keep doing what I'm doing for God, loving God, whatever He wants me to do. That's what you need to say. So tonight, you can have a refining change in your life by being open. If there's something there, or maybe you don't even know what's going on. Maybe you need to get deep time. Go. I don't know what's wrong with my heart. Start talking. Let people ask questions. If you're not giving sacrificially, it's not about we. we don't need your money none of you one giver two giver the church is going to move on the church has been moving since 33 AD I, I, I'm just telling you it doesn't matter it's giving's for you giving is refining your heart and revealing you are you selfish greedy and why don't you give consistently because you think about you more than God but it's not about the money 
So maybe you need to repent in that because the Bible calls that greed. If you're a disciple, you're greedy if you're not giving first to God consistently. Because you set your heart and go, why am I doing that? Make your pledge. Minute. We want to raise up. We're putting people on staff. You're going to hear great things going on. We're going to, we need to do God's will in Orlando. We need to continue to get to every soul. I don't know how many people are here. I don't know how many people want to be saved. But we're definitely right scratching the surface. Why? Well, we need to raise up and do our part and obey God's word. Be devoted to your word, to God, and then to one another. And give your heart even though you don't feel like it. Do it. You're going to grow. And to God be the glory. Let's open it up for sponsors.